0: This is Revolting with Steve Olin Robot on the Cycling Independent. Episode 2, When We Rode Bikes.
1: Uh, Content warning for little ears or those with sensibilities. Sensitive? Sensitive sensibilities? Delicate sensibilities. Delicate. We're obligated to tell you that before we start, this podcast contemplates both mature and immature themes. You might not like all the words we use or the ideas we bring up. If you're sensitive about these things, maybe this isn't the podcast for you. It's okay.
0: We will still love and respect you just the same. So um, last week we talked about actually. This idea of weeks is a little bit complicated because this episode isn't going to come out for a few weeks. And it occurred to me that this wasn't this is like a time capsule in a way. It's an opportunity I would just wonder if the you of when this episode comes out, if you'd like to give that person any advice about what life was like back here on this day, which is July 1st. Mm. Um,
1: Well, I guess, you know, uh, the last episode that we did, it's a little bit of a work in progress. So, we're still sort of figuring these things out and we're still getting to know one another. And certainly being the Luddite that I am, I'm still figuring out how to use the technology. And uh, last week, I think it sounded like I was recording inside of a, a oil drum. Uh, so I have repositioned myself with my mic and got new headphones and maybe that'll solve things. But
0: Uh, I thought you just, I thought your voice, I just thought that was your voice, just the inside the barrel. I just thought that's what you sound like booming. That's why I don't speak often. (laughs) Uh,
1: no. So what is happening this week? Uh, the Pacific Northwest where I live is just suffered through a week of unbearably high temperatures. And, uh, I spent four days, four all days, not sleeping. And it was like, I was in a drunken haze, you know, from one day to the next, I couldn't really remember what was happening or what had happened the day before, because I was so out of my mind. And, uh, you know, of course there's a run on fans and air conditioning units and stuff like that. So, um, it's good that we're doing this now. Cause I have had two nights sleep since those four nights of no sleep. That was and like I a feel- sweat
0: lodge experience. Was it, was it, Dude,
1: it was it was um, the spiritual. Worst. It was the worst. Well, last year there was real bad fires in California, and the air quality index was in like the 900s, and it mm. was bad. And it was hot. Yeah. Uh, but thankfully, I had a basement, and you know we had a ton of air purifiers and fans, and um, because you couldn't open the windows, you were basically trapped inside, which right. was a bummer. But at least you know we had a little bit of room to move, and. In this instance, uh, thankfully, I didn't have the smoke, but the building that I live in is like, I'm not exactly sure what they built it with. If it's like, I don't know if it's insulated because if it was insulated, it would have been a little bit cooler inside, I think. But it was an it was an absolute fucking oven in here
0: Mm.
1: and like the floor was hot. I told you that like the outside of my refrigerator was like the appliances, countertops, bookshelves, everything was warm. It was like the entire mm. building was like a big oven. And I tried laying in the bathtub in the tub, the physical tub was actually warm to the touch. Oh. It was inescapable. <laughs> it was so fucked. I was in the water as much as I possibly could be, but I just yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not cut out for, for high temps like that. So. No.
0: I grew I grew up in Mobile, Alabama, where they keep that that hot. Mm-hmm. That's actually where they make it and export it to other parts <laughs> of the world. And uh <clears throat> when I left there, I was like, I never I can never do this. I can never live in that again, please.
1: Yeah. I I you know, uh my parents were from Southeast Missouri, so we spent a lot of time there but when I was a kid, and the hot, mm. the heat and the humidity, like, I yeah, it was it was kind of novel, you know, like Or going to Texas where my cousin and his mom lived, my aunt. And it it was kind of fun because it was like I'd never seen myself sweat that much. And then it turns (laughs) out, like, I sweat a lot. I sweat the shower. I run. Generally, I I run hot. So to go to a really hot place was kind of fun back then. But I can't do it anymore. Uh, I did a road trip two years ago, and I drove all over the country in an attempt at finding myself. And uh, where ultimately I found myself... Well, I didn't fit, uh, spiritually find myself. Spiritually you didn't find yourself physically. Now, physically, I found myself in in uh, Arkansas, uh, northeast or northwest Arkansas. Uh, and it happened to be the hottest three weeks of the year. And so it was 100 degrees and 100 percent humidity. And uh, I'm sleeping in the back of my truck, which is probably 110 degrees and 200 percent humidity. I was just <laughs> completely <laughs> I was going to go to um, I was going to go down to Georgia and then visit some friends in Florida and stuff. And I was so (laughs) ravaged by the time I was done. And you know, you could ride in the morning because you know, Northwest Arkansas has 500 miles of purpose built mountain bike trails or whatever. So you'd ride early in the morning and ride uh, in the evening. And then the rest of the day I would just sit, I would sit in a river Mm -hmm. or I would try to find some shade But you couldn't even be outside because there were the horseflies there are like (laughs) Jumanji-esque. And this one, I swear to God, it was this one particular horsefly chased me for hundreds of miles and it would just (laughs) circle outside of my truck. And it was, honest to God, it was like
0: two
1: two inches by three inches. It was like a little hummingbird. (laughs) <laughs> and it was fucking pissed and it was so loud. And it, it was, was so pissed at you. It was, it had it out for me and it would yeah. circle, it would fly around my truck and I'd be hiding inside of the back of my truck and it would, it would be stalking me. I can imagine it was something
0: to, you said. You probably like, talked shit about some horse flies. I it was killed like, a lot of, oh, no, of horse flies when yeah, I was a kid. No, he didn't.
1: Yeah. And so, so this was like the, the great, great grandfather. This was like the super being of all horse flies that was coming to venge avenge its little brother's deaths
0: i don't think they live that long so i like the idea that that particular horsefly spent its entire life (laughs) (laughs) trying to (laughs) trying to gain revenge on you (laughs) that's
1: that's all it did it was so it was so bad so yeah yeah, anyway that's what uh i've been losing my mind my absolute mind for the last since we last sat with one
0: another it's been hot here too but not hot like there but in well i used that time to buy a buy a a cattle feeding trough and turn it into like a, a like i would call it the adult version of a kiddie pool yeah so mine has like a a pump and i i drilled holes in it and it's got it's it's like a legit uh pool except it's a big galvanized tub um, so has got
1: one of those, but he, but he, he lives, he and his family live in Austin. And he has one of those, but he didn't, when you, when I saw the picture of the pump and all of the high karate add ons, you put, oh yeah. yeah, that's, that's amazing.
0: Yeah. I didn't, fuck, I didn't fuck around And, and to be, you know, full disclosure, my wife is the smart one. She was like, drill the hole here and put the other one <laughs> there. And I was like, I can drill good. I'll do it.
1: <laughs> you know what you're going to end up with is you're going to go out there every day and it's just going to be full of raccoons. Like they're just going to you have you have just created an oasis for all of the wild beasts in the neighborhood.
0: Raccoon Country Club. I hope mm-hmm. so. What's what's funny is that right above where we put the pool there's a um, uh is it huckleberry or mulberry tree? It's a huckleberry tree, I think. And this time of year, the huckleberries are out and the squirrels. I mean, the thing is just like dripping with squirrels. And actually, twice in the last week, we've seen squirrels drop out of the tree. And hit the ground near the pool, and I'm just waiting to be sitting in the pool and, and be dive bombed by us by a, by a, a squirrel hitting on the a, head, a, a very drunk squirrel. That's oh, my know,
1: hope. You know what you what you should do in the in the time that you're not using it is put a little board in there or something so that if any critters do fall in there, they'll be able to they pull can climb out. out. That's not the worst idea. Yeah, is, or just a big like a cinder block or something just yeah. for the. For the in betweens, because what a bummer would it be to find a, a little drowned buddy in your yeah. pool,
0: or like a rope ladder, or like a tiny rope ladder from the pool back up to the tree. Ooh, that'd be dope. That's next level. Yeah, I'm just you're thinking of like
1: circus circus shit, and I'm just thinking of not getting drowned rodents in your pool. Yeah, yeah, a drowned rodent isn't awesome, but. Um, What do you, uh, so what have you been doing since the last, since the last we spoke?
0: Um, I've been sick. I got sick. I don't know how I wasn't sick for a year because I didn't have to be near a lot of humans. And, um, when I was, I had a mask on, so I didn't, I didn't have a cold for a year. And now we sent our kids back out into the world, uh, just at the end of the school year. And one of the things they brought back was this fucking cold. That has kicked my ass. So kids, kids been,
1: are dirty, yeah, dirty little beasts.
0: They are dirty. I tried to do that thing at the beginning of the cold, um, where I was like, "I'm going to ignore this and keep riding and hammering, and you know, I'm going to sweat it out." Yeah, but that, that, that is, doesn't work. No, that doesn't work. There's no medical science <laughs> behind that approach. I and have so a buddy.
1: It, oh, sorry.
0: Oh no, I was just going to say. So it got it got worse and kicked my ass.
1: I have a buddy who is a is a old uh, road racer. And he told me like he had all kinds of good training tips and that he was, you know, he was basically just like a workhorse for a local, uh, not pro team, but elite team Mm. uh, back in the day. And he told me two things, um, neither of which uh, I think have any validity to it. But one is if you get a cold, gin is supposedly good for you. Uh, Juniper berries have some medicinal property, but I think he was just, you know, looking for an additional uh, uh, excuse to get drunk. Yeah. Uh, And the other one was if you have a cold coming on, like you have that little tickle in your throat to do a super hard ride, uh, because his claim, which seemed plausible uh, at the time, was that it sort of increases your White blood cell count or something like that, and so I, I, I did that one time and got the worst bronchial infection of my life. <laughs> like I drove the cold virus so deep into my body. Yeah, it took me like nine months to recover. I lost my voice. I was <laughs> drowning in my, in my suffocating on my own phlegm at night. So, yeah, it, millionaire Bob, if you if you are listening to this, uh, you uh, you're not a doctor. <laughs> you're full of shit.
0: Well, two things come up, um, and at some point we should get to the top of the of the episode. But two things come up for me. The first one is that I don't think gin will prevent a cold, but I do think I I do believe the um, advent of the gin and tonic was because um, quinine is is somehow prophylactic for malaria. The British, I think, developed that drink specifically as a result, like they were all out in their, in their colonies doing their raping and pillaging and they didn't want to get malaria. So they started drinking gin and tonics and there might, I think there's, there is actual something Uh, to that. Might be something to it then. Okay. Yeah. The other thing is that I, I worked uh, for a brief time about a million years ago in this Italian restaurant for this horrible, horrible Italian man. Um, and that's not me indicting Italians generally. I, lo- I love I love Italians, but this particular Italian man was uh, an awful human. Um, but he, if he was getting a cold, he would go to the cappuccino, or the whatever, the espresso machine, and he would steam a glass of orange juice. And he insisted that steamed orange juice would prevent the cold. And mm-hmm. I, I said, Enzo, I don't think there's. I don't think that's. <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> okay,
1: good. Well, I mean, you know, I don't have any. I don't have any experience to uh, disprove that. You know, maybe no. maybe uh, um, vaporized vitamin C. You know, you might be Enzo might have been onto something. But maybe we, we won't know, and he we was, don't. He was onto talk a bunch Enzo of stuff. Anymore. Let me tell you, he was onto a
0: bunch of stuff. <laughs> None of it was particularly good. Cocaine um, in the bathroom. It, oh, were problems. Restaurant.
1: He, he made me see things I didn't want to see. The restaurant industry is a is a bad is a bad place, and it, it seems like everybody kind of cuts their teeth. Either you sink or you swim. You become a celebrity chef, or you become a broken junkie. Uh, and it's it, in where I grew up. It kind of it was either one or the other, and. Everybody that I knew, like t- a ton of people I knew, went on to pursue lucrative careers in the culinary arts. Um, but man, I fell right through the cracks. I couldn't do it. I'm not, yeah, not built I, for it either.
0: I think your, your either or is correct. And I'll tell you, I didn't become a celebrity chef. Mm-mm. That was my experience. <laughs> I, I became I, a burnt out.
1: I, hated it. Yeah. I just saw a documentary about, um, about uh, the dish pit. I'd never heard of it referred to as that, but the, the, how, how, how vital dishwashers are to, to high end and high volume restaurants. And yeah. it followed the air quote careers of three dishwashers. Uh, one of whom was working her way through her master's degree. And it basically just showed these people as like being, you know, uh, smart thinking, um, an important components to uh what all of the chaos that takes place in the kitchen and after my last dishwashing job i swore i was never going to work in the restaurant industry again ever ever and i haven't but then watching this documentary i was like oh man that looks kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> i like that i like that it seems like they're respected and they're having fun and
0: i did everything in restaurants and i of the th- You know, I like waited tables. I tended bar. I prep, you know, I did food prep in the kitchen. I ran wine tastings, which was stupid. Um, I I was a manager at a restaurant. Um, I washed dishes. I bust tables of all of them. I think the one I found most rewarding and doable was dishwashing because Hmm. you're there on your own. First of all, cleaning things is very satisfying to me, which is. I I don't know why I think I always like to see the outcome of my work, like as soon as I can see an outcome, I'm kind of motivated again. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. So there's something about just loading that rack and pushing it in and it comes out like 30 seconds later, immaculate and that work is done. I'm like, yeah, I did work. Look at that. But it's also like people kind of leave you alone, they don't really want to talk to you and I really dig that. <laughs> That's really like my cool. preferred uh milieu for working. I'm like just I'll just be very productive if you leave me entirely alone. You're killing me here. I I'm back to
1: want to be a dishwasher again. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> I'd almost talk myself out of it, but now I'm thinking
0: like, well, no. Could, so, I, so I, the I, other I dishwasher know. story had i worked in this restaurant this was during the wine tastings actually mm-hmm. i was running the wine tastings with the chef in the restaurant and the chef would yell the dishwasher was a, a large brazilian man that everyone called mongo and mongo was a super sweet nice helpful good guy and david the chef uh began one night as we're trying to cuz you know during this wine tasting I don't know how many people we have maybe 50 you have to like kind of get all of them served at the same time so it's not like you're preparing one table's worth of food you're preparing you know 10 tables worth of food at the same time so you need all the dishes ready for plating whatever it's a real pain so so david started yelling "mongo what is the key to a successful dinner party" <laughs> And Mongo was like, I don't know, David, leave me alone, because really he had found his spot. He just wanted to be left alone. So this went on like every three minutes for, I don't know, maybe a half hour. Mongo, what is the key to a successful dinner party? Until Mongo was like, I wouldn't say he was close to tears, but he was kind of like, I just want this man to shut up. And I I just I'm at the end of my rope. And then finally, David turns to him and he says, oh, buddy, it's it's clean as you go. It's just. That's it. Just clean as you go. <laughs> so whenever my kids are in the kitchen now, I yell, I yell at them. I
1: love Mongo. Yeah. Wonder Mongo Mongo's is a good guy. Mongo yeah. yeah. Mongo's trying to do a podcast somewhere. He's talking <laughs> Probably. About, talking
0: about the, the key to successful dinner parties. I think his podcast is Americans are Awful. <laughs> he, just has, <laughs> he just has long limited stories about um, that.
1: The first place I ever washed dishes is was a place called Evergreen Inn. I grew up in a, a town called Evergreen in Colorado. And there was a place at the end of main street that it was, uh, I mean, as I, as I later realized it was basically just a den of derelictism and drug addiction and alcoholism. And my parents said, you should get a job and build a character <laughs> and make, you know, make some money. And they just threw me to the fucking wolves. Um, And I get, you know, like the cooks that throw knives at me and lock me in the refrigerator and stuff because I was definitely the low man on the totem pole. But I went in for Sunday to set up for Sunday brunch or whatever one day and the garbage can weighed. uh, I mean, I don't know. I was only 15, so it could have only weighed 100 pounds, but I I swear to God, it, it weighed 500 pounds or a thousand pounds. Like I couldn't move it. I couldn't, it was like, it was glued to the floor. Right. Uh, Came to realize that the guy who closed the night before just threw all the dishes in the garbage can, like all the backline dishes, all the plates, all the silverware, everything. And so then it was my job to pull each item out of all of this rancid trash, wash it out or wash it. And then take the remaining garbage out to the dumpster, which of course, when I pulled the bag out uh, and, and, Threw it into the the dumpster the bottom, broke out of the garbage bag and trash flew all over the parking lot. And and in response to that, my boss uh, didn't give me a shovel or, um, you know, help in any way. He uh, or or she uh, gave me a dustpan. So then I get to clean all of this rotten trash up with a dustpan. It just, the place fucking sucked. It sucked. It was dirty. It, That's character building. <laughs> <Yeah>. My <laughs> grandfather used to say, what, building I have, or destroying? I'm not sure. I have more than enough character. I don't need, I don't need to build
0: anymore. I had uh, that, I had a similar experience at my, my very first restaurant job was at this Tex Mex place right on this, on the strip uh, in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, we talked a second ago about how hot it is there. And if you put a lot of, refried beans and melted cheese in the garbage (laughs) which is what's got scraped off every plate into the garbage there is no ply there's no number of plies of garbage bag that can contain (laughs) that and i'm pretty sure like yeah similar to you like the first week i dragged that thing because i'm i i i must have weighed 110 pounds at that point I think I dragged that thing out to the dumpster, like barely able to slide it on the floor, and I'm pretty confident it burst like on my leg as I tried to get it into the dumpster.
1: Sweet. Yeah, it's like dark matter, and, and that what like it's the densest possible s- substance. Yeah, is, is beans and cheese, is, and then it's dark matter.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I think if if it's a. It, it, We've been burning down the Amazon rainforest for a lot of years now. I think if they just dump a lot of refried beans and melted cheese, it's <laughs> like a, the primordial ooze that will begin beget new life again. I'm not sure it, any science is getting it's harmed wonder, in that statement either. It's, but
1: it's it's a wonder that it's a wonder we're not running things. Yeah, I with don't ideas know. Ideas like that. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, yeah, let's get to the topic at hand, huh?
0: Yeah. Uh so last week we talked about the things that inspired us when we were young, including bikes. And um I know we didn't get to all of it, but we're gonna do more podcasts, so there's time. Um today we're talking about the best parts of riding bikes and why they were good. So Man. Like let's start with what what's the first great bike ride you remember? Uh God.
1: Well, I saved and saved and saved when I was I guess I was well over thirteen and I I worked all summer as a four caddy at the Colorado Open. I would basically use a stand on the fairway and spot balls, which sounds super sexy, but (laughs) it's not. Uh, you just make you know and then you go over and stand next to where the ball landed and the golfer comes over and gives you a ten dollar tip or twenty dollar <laughs> tip or whatever and if you get hit that. by the ball because I got hit by a couple of balls or you're looking into the sun and then you get laid out <laughs> and then you get like a twenty five dollar tip
0: that that, I see it uh, this is this is a whole podcast about how your character was formed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, hate, well, working. I hate working. I hate working for a living. Be-
0: first I dumped food all over myself and cleaned it with a, <laughs> <laughs> a dishpan. It's,
1: it's, it's always been hard. Like working has always sucked. But so I saved money all summer and then I bought my first like proper BMX bike. I had some clapped together bikes before, but I saved up and got a uh, Kuohara Nova, which was sort of a tier below the laser light. Mm. which and that came out during the when et was released there was the et edition kuahara that they wrote the elliot road in the movie and then there was sure. like these three it was nova something and laser light so it was i guess third tier and um there was some kind of vacant lots but it was really just sort of forested like undeveloped undeveloped forested area near my house and, and i had some buddies and you know on weekends and and after school we we'd meet up over there and build jumps and and it was just sort of, you know, like we talked about last time, it was kind of a, 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 an additional layer to uh, learning about independence and and just getting out on my own as far as my body could take me. So, mm-hmm. you know, they it, it, it weren't epic rides. I wasn't doing centuries or anything like that, but I was riding further than I could walk and And getting to goof around and learn about myself physically. And, and, you know, I certainly couldn't do any of the cool tricks that I saw in the magazine, but I was pretty good at kickouts. I was pretty good at cross ups. Tons of jumps to landing to flat because, you know, you can't like (laughs) we we hadn't (laughs) figured out uh, transition, no, which is probably why my back and my wrists are so fucked up now uh, or partly why.
0: Well, what I don't understand because I did the same thing. We did a lot of like plywood on piles of bricks, mm-hmm. um, and you know, basically just jumping as far as we could yeah. and landing to flat. Mm-hmm. But I was fully comfortable then. Uh, you know, landing rear tire first. You know, really just I mean, I, like twelve year old me was kind of a baller. I I I kind of had it and setting down I, smooth. Yeah. Mostly, yeah. you know, sometimes you, you, you'd slam, but, uh, I don't, I don't have that anymore. I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm reverse skill thing. Yeah.
1: But you also got to realize that when you're, when you're a kid, you, you can fall down all of the stairs and get up and brush yourself yeah. off. And yeah, you know, I always, I always say, you know, from a, from a, a life spent, um, using and and thus abusing my body in those days when you take a real good digger and you stand up and brush yourself off and you're like hey it didn't even hurt like back in the game like it didn't hurt then it hurt it hurts 30 years later
0: like, every,
1: every time I've hit the ground I feel it now I wasn't feeling it then but I definitely feel it now <laughs>
0: That that's I like that idea. Uh, that explains a lot of things, because I feel like I have a lot of hurt these days and mm-hmm. I'm not really sure where it came from.
1: Then it came, it all came from then it was stored in some kind of cosmic locker. And then when you turn 38 or 40 years old, that locker gets opened up and then it just starts getting sprinkled all over you for the rest of your life and now now it's like vapors uh yeah now (laughs) it's it's all about doing yoga and all about preventative maintenance and self-care and in all of this all of these concepts that i'm just learning about right now but man if if i don't try to undo some of the damage from back then now then i'm I'm not going to be able to continue doing what i do and still the idea of like having a really bad crash it um it it inspires a little bit of uh like terror really in my soul because i know i'm not going to be able to bounce back up you know actually okay so the last big crash i had like this was this was a this was epic it was I, I was crashing for such a long time that I that I was thinking in real time like, oh my God, this is taking forever. And I was just it was like God took me and she just she just Chinese starred me across the ground and I was just and over, and over and and I I, I was passing people who were riding. Like I was crashing and passing people.
0: Uh, I'm I, sorry to laugh at your misfortune.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when I finally came to a rest, and I had, like, I had all kinds of grass in my hair and shit, and people stopped, I just I high sided this corner on my cross bike on a fire road, and I was—I don't know—I was doing 38 miles an hour, so that I sped up. Yeah. When I hit the ground, and thankfully didn't hit any rocks or anything, but I had hyperextended my ring and middle fingers on both my hands, and that was it. Like, Ugh. hugely lucky. Uh, it was a, it was a dodged bullet for sure, but you know, I could, I, I couldn't, I don't think I could do that now. So I'm, I I try to be pretty cautious. Uh,
0: Yeah. I don't know. I, this was something I did want to bring up this episode. Once when I was a kid, I in, in Alabama, at least in the, in the eighties, there was well, I think still now they're developing, developing, developing. They've got land, right? right? And it's all like red clay uh there. It was all red clay uh base um in the neighborhood I lived in. And there were in the neighborhood there were all these little uh cul de sacs. Culs de sac. I don't know what the right is there, but uh, <laughs> cul de sac. Cul
1: sac- de sacs. Culs de sacs. Culs de dead ends. <laughs> courts.
0: They call them call them quartz. But um I remember because we would, you know, that's good skidding um, substrate. That's a, a good surface to lay down a, a a thing, and it made this really satisfying. It'd be like light orange, and then you'd skid in it and be like dark orange. Anyway, we were hauling ass down one of these things, and it dead ended. And where the curb was going to be, they there was like a two foot high cut, like a wall. <laughs> Where the curb, curb was going to be, and I didn't see it, and I somehow in my, in my skid, I had dropped my chain, and it was, it was a coaster break, and I was just hosed. And I came in, and I knew I was hosed. I couldn't do anything, so I T-boned it, and I went over, and it was a similar thing to yours. And I think I cried. I'm pretty sure I cried. Uh, But if I had known that it was still going to be hurting now, I think I would have cried harder. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But But, I'm curious. I'm definitely curious about your level of caution. Well, Um, that was, you know, when I
1: said like the last big, the last bad crash I had, that was I mean, that was 10 years ago. And that's totally that was a total lie. Um, (laughs) in, in, In 2015, it wasn't a bad crash. And this is I'll sort of get to kind of the not the observation I was I was thinking about when you were talking about um, the crash that you had when you were a kid. Uh, It was a total it was nothing. It was a step off um, on this trail that I'd ridden. you know, this one section of trail that I'd ridden a hundred times or more. And there was a couple standing on the inside of the trail. So I just went a little bit on the outside and got Mm -hmm. a little bit off balance and the side of the trail dropped off. So I just sort of threw my bike and jumped off, but I landed on my right foot with all of my weight going into my knee and did, I did a, I had a lateral hyperextension. So my leg was bent at a right angle to the, in the wrong way. And it made a huge snap and I knew I was fucked and I was like way, pretty far away, not miles and miles away. But I I had to, I couldn't stand on it. So I had to drag myself, I had to push myself backwards all the way to the road, like dragging my bike behind me and pushing myself with my left foot. My right leg was, it was not a complete separation, but I tore my ACL, my MCL and my meniscus, not my LCL. So luckily it wasn't a total separation. Um, And that, uh, that Kind of fucked me up. I mean, physically, yeah, (laughs) but but mentally. Oh, yeah. And then 10 months later to the day, I was riding with a friend of mine on another section. of It was the same trail, but it was in a different spot where you have this little ascent, and then you hop over this exposed culvert uh, that runs down from a road up above, and then you ride down this little uh, descent, and it had rained, so the exposed culvert was a little wet. And my rear tire slipped out. So again, through my bike jumped in the Ivy uh, and I was sitting in the Ivy, holding my leg, like just kind of checking in on like, my knee felt a little tweaked, but I was like, okay, I just want to see like, am I good? Am I not good? And my buddy runs down the hill and he's like, Oh man, oh man. Are you okay? Holy fucking shit. And, like loses it. And I look at the front of my leg and I had lacerated. I had a 10 inch, I, I had one 10 inch laceration across the front of my leg and then another probably six inch laceration. And what I had done was when you run a culvert down a hill, you tie them together with these steel plates
0: No. and I had, and
1: it was buried in the Ivy and I'd landed on, on these corners. So it cut me oh. in parallel and it was severe. Um, uh, so naturally I pulled out my camera, I took some pictures of it, <laughs> uh, he was an Eagle scout, uh, but he was in complete panic and I was like, well, I don't know if I need to like tie this off or, you know, and luckily you were it like, wasn't,
0: we're, don't you have this goddamn badge? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't my abdomen. It wasn't my, you know, my chest. It wasn't my back. Yeah. It wasn't my neck. It there were so many places that it could have, I could have yeah. been cut where I could have potentially bled out you know um, right so and it wasn't bleeding that bad and again I kind of like hobbled up to the road and then I got I actually got an ambulance ride out uh, but I looked over the edge I didn't even know that this was like a sheer cliff but my bike bounced between these two trees and then fell another 30 or 40 feet oh man so when the fire personnel showed up I said since since you guys didn't have to drop a bucket down for me could I could I ask you to do me a solid and get my bike. Like if it was a department store bike or whatever, I wouldn't care, but this is, you know, right. a custom cross bike and, and there's no way you can walk down to get it. Like it is, it's sheer. And I, I would have died if I'd fallen another yeah. five feet, you know? Um, and, uh, they did. And I brought them bourbon and coffee and firehouse 16 in Oakland is my favorite firehouse in the whole wide world. So nice. Thank you guys. Um, so, and that, That the, the psych, the psychology that are not, I I can't even think of the term, but it put so much psychological trauma. It puts so much fear in me and so much trepidation. And when you're in a precarious situation, when you're riding a bike and you start thinking about all of the possibilities, it, it, it stifles you, you know, before you just go for it and it's always good. But when you realize the potential outcome of this is going to be me incapacitated on a sofa for a year. Right. Which is ultimately like I was out pretty much for a year with those two injuries. And I, I couldn't get out of my own head until honestly I'm still working on it, but I'm, I'm closer to being back to normal. And that was six years ago. You know, I thought I I I was going to have to get hypnotized or something to
0: get over it. Yeah, no, I have this experience too. I, I did my collarbone last year, nothing, you know, just for no reason broke my collarbone, uh, you know, going over a log. i just mistimed an easy one. It was small. It was whatever. There was no reason for me not to make it. And I, I, I front sided the the log. I just didn't get to the apex. I, I pulled the <laughs> front wheel too early. And so I went over and I broke my collarbone and there's, there's two things I want to say. The first one, because you were talking about taking a picture of your laceration first. The first one is I did my collarbone. I knew I had done it immediately because I heard it snap. Uh, like even before my body came to rest, I was already I was already in this frame of mind. Ah, crap. You know what I mean? Like I was already there. So then I'm I'm laying on the ground. And I've just broken a bone and I'm staring up at these trees. And I was like, oh, those trees are really beautiful you know, the thing, the thing that happens when you fall down as much as you and I have is that like the pain is pretty secondary. It's not that it doesn't hurt. It's not that pain isn't possible. Like obviously, and you know, some things hurt a whole lot, but it's for me, it's not the pain that is an issue. It's, it's like the, the soul level disappointment of being Mm -hmm. laid up.
1: Yeah. And what you, you know, you're, gonna not be having very much fun for the next
0: several weeks or months months whatever it is but the other thing is that ptsd of like like i have it now i was out and, and it's not as bad as it it has it was right after i did it because and this is the thing like if i had if i had done something that i knew was risky and and fucked myself up i don't think i would have Th- that would have bothered me. I would have been like, yeah, I knew that was going to happen and that's easy to avoid. I definitely like hung it out there and I um, got burned. Yeah. Okay. It's when you hurt yourself doing something innocuous, right? When you're just like, Oh yeah, this trail I've done a hundred times, but uh, this particular time I, I, you know, face planted like what? Yeah. Why did that? And then, and then I find myself walking around and I get these little jolts of like, Whoa, like I, I almost like premonitions of, like just last week, I'm riding along on a trail. It's really overgrown. And suddenly I think, what if there's a rock under <laughs> one of these plants?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like I said, I thought I was going to have to get into hypnotism because it was, it was weighing so heavily on me. Yeah. Um, not long after I had recovered, I was riding in Squamish in British Columbia and the trails there are totally next level and you're riding yeah. the skinnies over you know 12 or 15 foot uh ravines and you know everything's <laughs> built really well and everything's really beautiful but i was just it was like vertigo like all, yeah. all over the place it was i had a really really hard time focusing on what i was doing instead of focusing on the what potential outcome of all of this yeah. and like i said when you start getting distracted by the potential for injury it, um, it, it, it colors everything. Um, yeah. and, uh, it, and it, and again, it, it's taken me that was, so that was 2015. And I was, I mean, I was a mess. I was on painkillers for a couple of days and I was having all of these like body issues. I was like, Oh, I'm fat and I'm you know depressed. <laughs> and my wife is just like pulling her hair out and I'm saying, I'm never leaving the house again. And I was like, just it it fucked me up. It fucked my soul up, you know, because if I'm not a mountain biker, if I'm not a bike rider, who am I? I'm a fraud. I write this. I manage this website and I'm talking about being outside and having fun and drinking beer and riding bikes and riding skateboards and doing whatever and being, you know, like like Peter Pan. Yeah. But in fact, I'm I'm on the sofa buried underneath the cat. And I'm taking pills and I don't think I ever want to leave the house again. Yeah. So it, it, everything, it changed.
0: Ontological crisis.
1: It changed everything for me for a few years. Um, yeah. And it still have, I still battle with it a little bit, but it's a lot better now than it was.
0: I had this bad the first time I got hit by a car. I was, it was just, you know, in the city. Uh, I was a pretty aggro rider in the city for a bunch of years when I was younger. Um, we there's you know, because of all the reasons, dumb, ego, etc. And then I got hit just riding in a bike lane, just a woman, you know, right hooked me. And for the a year after, I was livid. Anytime I was on the bike in, in the city, I was just livid. Any little thing that a car would do, I was like, you know, swearing, yelling. I I got in so many confrontations uh that were all stupid. And I realized what what actually unlocked it eventually for me was like, oh, I'm not angry,
1: I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Like Yeah, fear is a really powerful motivator. That's exactly yeah. it. There's what my mom and I were talking about this last night. There's two there's two emotions in the world and it's love and fear and everything is based out of those two things. Everything is rooted in those two things. And fear makes you do all kinds of stupid shit. I mean, yeah, look at where we are socially. It's all racism, sexism, incels, whatever. It's all fear.
0: Fear based. Yeah. Well, I, that's, that's an interesting little pivot because I have, like you, I've fallen off a lot. Like you, I have that, I wrestle with that trepidation like every day uh, that I'm on the trail on on the bike and less so on the road, but I don't ride on the road that much because I don't like it that much. But um, one of the things that my friends, the guys I ride with and I joke about a lot is safety third. Mm-hmm. Um, safety is job three. And that's, you know, cute and stupid or and whatever. But also, I think on some level, I have to consciously engage risk to push back against that fear. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it's a little bit like aversion therapy. Like, you have to go
1: a little bit beyond where you're comfortable in order to make that become comfortable.
0: Yeah, and I and and I have to read like it's like my confidence is a sandcastle. Yeah, and I crash in a wave. That's a wave. A wave comes in and takes the castle down. I have to rebuild. I I can't I can't just leave the beach. I have to like I gotta rebuild the sandcastle, and that means you know like doing some stuff that's sketchy. You know, and I'm not. I've got a wife and kids. I'm not trying to. I'm not certainly not trying to hurt myself. But I. I can't. I think I think once you're in retreat, you're you're in retreat.
1: Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. Uh, I I don't think I've ever thought about it to this degree before. And I wonder if your average bike rider, you pull your average mountain biker, say, for example, off the street and ask her or him where where they reside on this scale Hmm. and i'd be curious what what people would say if if there would be an average if if it would be a a, there'd be a common answer or it would be all over the map right
0: uh i think people in general have a lot of fear i think well um, it's good
1: i mean fear keeps you safe right that's that's the That's why we have it. It's it's just when it gets blown out of proportion or there's unfounded fear. That's when that's when you start to get into trouble.
0: I think I think fear, unexamined fear is a real problem in the sense that it really holds you back. Like after I did my collarbone, I got frozen shoulder syndrome. I couldn't. I couldn't lift my arm above here. I w- I would the, all the muscles like under my shoulder blade were uh in spasm. And I met with this woman and she said, "You know, your your brain is trying to protect your shoulder from being injured again." Mm-hmm. So, it's not that your muscles aren't in spasm, but a, a certain amount of your lack of mobility is is fear-based. And you need to look at that and say is this necessary? Like what, what's the worst that's going to happen? And it's, it's, it's crazy. Right. But I, then I was like, okay, I can move this thing now. And it's not that the pain went away and it wasn't cured overnight, but it, it, it definitely moved the ball downfield for me where I was like, right. Yes. Let go of the fear of the, of the pain in in my shoulder and just like (laughs) lean into it.
1: I think that I think people underestimate the power of the brain and the the, the relationship that the brain has with the body. You know, you yep. can cure yourself of illness. You can make yourself sick. You can. The brain controls the whole machine, you know. Um, yeah. There's a there's a doctor, a, a, an author and doctor named Dr. John E. Sarno, and he wrote a book called. Uh, um. Um, healing back pain. And there was another one called it. Yeah. I'm thinking about like three different titles right now. Uh, but his point was, though. Well, there's a, there's another documentary called the uh, all the rage. And it's just basically about, um, Oh, the mind body connection. That was the, the name of his other oh, book. Sure. And it's basically yeah. about like creating illness or creating wellness just with the power of your with your power, with the power of your brain and your brain is, is in control of, of everything. And so, you know, um, uh, I've been plagued with chronic wrist issues, especially my left wrist for years. And, um, I, since having moved, they have almost gone away entirely. So I have to wonder how much of that was based in, you know, my id, my inner angry child, or whatever—like not happy with whatever situation I was in, or however I was living my life—and I removed myself from it, and now I don't have those pains, the, the associated pain. Yeah, uh-huh. it's wild. I think,
0: I mean, the th- the thing uh, to me that's uh, salient about uh, what's going on in my mind is that. A lot of it is a lie, (laughs) you know, like a lot of the fear is unfounded. A lot of the, um, uh, a lot of it is just not accurate, right? Like I, I try to view my mind as a radio station. That's just playing content all the time. And it doesn't necessarily, whatever it's saying doesn't necessarily mean anything. Like I don't have to invest in the stuff that my mind says, You know, it's like a chronic depressive. That's a that's a key thing is like, oh, your brain is telling you uh, that today is hopeless and tomorrow probably will be, too. There's no that has no basis. In fact, that's just something on the radio. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think that's also true with sometimes with pain and injuries. Um, Like I have to be real careful. I'm sick right now. But how sick am I? I don't know. You know, sometimes it's convenient to feel sick and like lay down and not make dinner and make somebody else do it. Whatever. I think there's just a lot of. Um, if that's the case, then I'm always sick. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All I want to do is lay down and have somebody else make the dinner.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's a reasonable <laughs> thing to want. But. um, um What. uh. I feel like this, we, 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 we started off talking about what our great bike rides were, but it it devolved very quickly (laughs) into like like injuries and tragedies. Okay. I
1: wanted to ask you, I,
0: I wanted to ask you, um, about you were a messenger for some period of time.
1: Uh, yeah, just like, uh, I don't know, three and a half years or something.
0: So was that fun?
1: Oh, it was awesome. It was I was talking about it last night. It was the it was the job I hated less than any other job I've ever had. Because, I, again, I think yes. working for a living is for suckers. Sure. But, you know, but I'm there like, you know, we all have to have a job because we live in a capitalistic society and whatever. Yeah. And rail against that. But, um, yeah, it was a blast because you get to spend all day. It's basically like. You and all of your friends have these super high power radios and you're just on like an eight hour scavenger hunt at which time at, at the conclusion of which you all meet at a bar and eat dollar tamales and drink your weight and beer and go home and go to sleep and do it all over again the next day. And it was just an absolute, you know, I'm still friends with a bunch of the people that I worked with back then. And we were it was a joke that we were the most highly educated uh, messenger company. Like there were people with masters or people right. working their way through law school. There was you know sit, take this as you will but there were several um people who'd graduated from art school and so the joke was you graduate from art school and you get a diploma and a bag and a radio yeah there's nothing else you're going to do with your d- degree uh but it was yeah it was super fun and it was I, and, and it taught me real quick it taught me that um You know, you were talking about riding around and being angry. I realized after this one particular scrape I got in with the delivery driver that it did I didn't there weren't there wasn't enough hours in the day to constantly be doing battle. You know, like people do stupid shit in traffic and I can beat I can try to beat the asshole out of one person and five feet later there's gonna be another person and I can try to beat the asshole out of them and then there's gonna be another
0: person. So Right. I think it, it's always like this when you mm-hmm. when a lot of humans are close to each other, like who's mm-hmm. who's wrong them for being that way or you for expecting them not to be. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Just just so you just got to let it go because you're going to drive yourself crazy. But yeah, yeah, it was a super fun job. I, I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad when I hit the wall. I hit it spectacularly. And, um, you know, it was good. It was a good time for me to to bail out.
0: Did you do you feel like as a cyclist, that's like one of the you were talking about your Eagle Scout friend? Is that like a badge? Like you got the messenger badge. You got the uh, BMX uh, badge.
1: <laughs> uh, kind of. I mean, I don't know. I didn't know what else I was going to do for a living. And, and that seemed real fun. You know, it yeah. happened to be a messenger through the El Nino winter. And I think it rained that year, whatever year that was. It rained 42 days in a row. Yeah. And I I knew a guy who got a real bad staph infection just because he was wet. You know, he had like this gnarly infection on his back and he was wet, you know, 12 hours a day, 13, 14 hours a day. A gnarly infection on his back.
0: That's Mm -hmm. that's that's bizarre.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, none of us were taking super good care of ourselves. We're basically like eating burritos and drinking beer all the time. So your immune system's kind of beat up. And if you get a you get a cut on your back or whatever. And then you throw your bag on your back and it's just festering. Uh, Loved doing it was really happy to be done with it. Um, uh, Yeah. Made, made some friends, made some, had some good memories, but
0: I don't know. Was that among the best time of your cycling life? Would you say?
1: Mm. mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, just life in general. Like I had my buddy, I had one really good friend, I had a girlfriend. We rode mountain bikes together all the time. Like it was sort of in my mind's eye of what a perfect, a perfect existence was. Yeah. You know, I was having, I was having art shows pretty consistently. It was, it was fun. I was racing every weekend, you know, so it it was, it was cool. It's magic to be young. Mm -hmm. It's bullshit to be old. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, I think so. Yeah. 20, whatever, 26 to 30 or 26 to 31 or whatever. It was a pretty, it was a pretty sweet window.
0: Yeah. I remember during that time, I mean, the big thing I was here in Boston and, <clears throat> you know, we rode, we rode all over the city all the time. It's, it's a great city for riding around cause it's so small. And it was like, um, you know, the shows uh, were all over the city. The rock shows were all over the city. So it was like uh, you would ride, cross town to see some show and you'd get out at one o'clock in the morning. And then Boston also everything closes <laughs> at like one. So the city is dead quiet and we would just head downtown and ride around the office buildings, nobody there and through the, through, uh, Boston common, you know, nobody there. Um, and just feeling like you own the place and mm-hmm. you know, the, I have so many in my head idealized nights of like riding back from the jawbreaker show and, and uh, camping out in the park for a while and just people showing up and talking. And it, it is this idealized life. It it's is a, this, lot of,
1: it's a lot of freedom.
0: You don't, yeah, you don't need much a burrito. You don't need much. Uh, everyone is uh, excited to do things. Um, I think that not needing much which then attaches to not having a lot of responsibilities. Uh,
1: is, yeah. Uh, I think there's something to that. There's a, a kind of an interesting documentary on Netflix right now called uh, the minimalists.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, it's it's inter-
1: there's, yeah. there's some really, uh, there's some really profound points. Some of it's kind of aggravating, like the two dudes that, wrote the book that go on the book tours were kind of like, I didn't really click with them. And the guy's like a hairdryer, like every, every, every good minimalist needs a hair dryer. I was just like, Jesus, what's, what's a fucking hairdryer. Uh, but some of these, yeah, some of this just paring down your, paring down your existence and your reality. Like, yeah, we've got, you know, chances are if you live in this society, you've got bills to pay. And if you've got bills to pay, then you are going to need some kind of income. But, short of that, you know, a roof over your head and some relationships and maybe some music to listen to. You know, the the trappings just the the trappings kind of trap you. I mean, I yeah, never absolutely. really never really put those two words together, but the more stuff you have, the more you're kind of um you're imprisoned by your possessions.
0: Yeah. And you have to do, you have to do the
1: work to maintain all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. That was a, it was a, it was a, it was a simple time that I'm constantly trying to kind of reclaim,
0: you know, to yeah. some degree or another, because well, having I
1: fun I, is more fun than not having fun.
0: That's right. In the safety third scenario, number one is fun. Actually. Um, I think there's two periods for me. There's like that That 10 to 12 year old period where like I had I had bike skills and the escapism was was new and and perfect. And then there's like 25 year old me where it's like I've rediscovered the escapism. I have no needs, but I have all of the privileges of adulthood. You know, I can do whatever I want. Those those two things. And I do think I am trying to recreate them, which is, you know, just to tie it up is part of like why I think. You have to keep kind of putting it on the edge uh, because, you know, those that feeling that freedom to try something that, yeah, it might hurt, but it could also be rad. I think that's part of it, you know, for me, like chasing that first high.
1: Yeah, that needle is always kind of moving too. you know, as you get older, maybe 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 you uh, interact with with your or you exact a little bit more. Uh, caution, but you know, I think that's why any of us ride bikes fundamentally, uh, or at at its foundation is that we're all just, we're all just big kids, you know, Yeah. like if you think back and I'm not, I'm not making any profound observations here, but if I, if I, if I think back to what attracted me to riding a bike to begin with, back when I had my Kuahara and I was going to meet my friends in the woods, to make jumps. It's just going to goof around. You know, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't wrap my entire, I did, I didn't wrap my entire identity up in this activity. It wasn't, that wasn't who I was. It was just a, a thing that I liked to do. Right. And then you get older and you begin to identify some, You know, there's some self-worth or your own identity that's tied up in in what you do or what you own or the companies that you support or the politics or whatever. But at its core, you get to it's a solo pursuit. You get to be on a bike. You get to use your body. You get to feel the wind in your hair and you get to go explore some trails or some roads or some paths or go you sit by a creek and watch water skippers or just you just be a kid. And that's the thing that I always try to hold on to. All of the other shit doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, that's, that's right. The
1: magic that attracted to me, attracted me. Excuse me. Let me try that again. That's the shit that attracted me to it to begin with.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. That's right. That. I, I love that you said that. I think that actually wraps up the episode sort of perfectly because we, we, we went around our ass to get to our elbow, as we say in Alabama. But, <laughs> but I do think that was the point of this episode. Like what was good? Um, You know, what was essentially good when we rode bikes? I think you, I think you just nailed it. So geez,
1: it's embarrassing. You can, like we can edit out the entire episode and just have the intro and the last Three minutes and
0: put that one in the can. Maybe maybe we'll have an alternate alternate episode. That's weird. The episode is an hour long and the alternate is three and a half minutes. I guess I'll listen to the long one.
1: Took us a little while to land the plane. Yeah. Uh well, one thing, you know, as long as we're closing up, uh one thing I did want to mention that I didn't mention last time was the uh intro and outro music that is uh that we use for this show it is by a band called Who Rides the Tiger. Uh and those guys are all super swell fellows who live down in Southern California. They make real good music. And I put the record out. Um I don't know four or five years ago. And I have a few copies left on all hail the black market. If anyone is interested in that, uh, the song is called bandini mountain and we very much appreciate them letting us use it. And Bill's Bill's band now is. Oh man. Called, yeah. All yeah all face killer, no filler. Uh, yeah. Bill's new band is called OZORN. Uh, and it is also very good. Yeah. That guy. He's a, uh, he's kind of a phenom. He's a, a man of many talents, but. His musical ability is second to none.
0: If you, if you like music that slaps, as my kids say, if you yeah, like music that slaps, check out O'Zorn and uh, Who Rides a Tiger. All right, that's it. Episode two, dead, dusted, done, done and dusted. Um, if you like what you just heard, subscribe to it, uh, comment on it. Um, Ask us some questions. We're obviously going to get to questions in later episodes. Um, And that's it. That's this week's nonsense. This has been Revolting with Stevel and Robot. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody.